You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Again, welcome. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you to Getting in the Word. It's always a privilege and uh, always a blessing. So we're going to begin today a 10-week series on the doctrine of salvation. Maybe some of you were a part of that when we did it early on. I want to redo it. I want to record it so we are able to post it. Um, And uh, nevertheless, this is the roadmap for which we will uh, be journeying on for the next uh, 10 weeks on Tuesday mornings. So we'll begin out this morning with the doctrine of salvation as we look at common grace and what common grace is and how that applies to our life and what what benefits uh, they are for us as believers and, and as Christians and even really uh, for unbelievers, if uh, for a matter of fact. So, yeah, this week we're going to be looking, week one, common grace, you know, and begin by asking yourself the question, what do you think common grace is? Um, I've defined it... Um, by what we find as common grace is the universal favor that God grants all people, both believers and unbelievers. And so, you know, the reality is, is common grace is as beneficial for the believer it is as it is the unbeliever. And so that's an important reality to be reminded of. You may be asking, well, what are some of the key verses? Well, some of the key verses that you might think of when it comes to the idea of common grace um, deals with verses such as Psalm 145.9, Matthew 5.45, Luke 635, Acts 14, 17, Romans 2, uh, verse 4 and verses 14 to 15, and chapter 13, 1 to 7. And then you can look at Timothy 4, 3 and 4, 1 Timothy, that is, and Galatians, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 4, and Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. These are all relevant verses that we deal with when we think about common grace. So we need to begin by understanding what common grace is and what it isn't. So let's begin to define what common grace is not. Though um, the grace of God is commonly linked to the divine acts of God through His saving work, salvation. When we talk about common grace, we're talking about how God grants His favor upon all people through all times, but not the specific favor that He grants for those whom He grants saving grace. So common grace is not saving grace. Otherwise, we would be in terms with uh, universalism, everybody saved because of common grace. That's not the case. Common grace 
is therefore different than saving grace, which God's particular favor granted only to believers for the purpose of salvation. So there's a two different realities when we come to grace. There's saving grace and there's common grace. And the two must not be confused, again, lest we dabble in universalism, which is heresy. Um, common grace is really affirmed in six different areas that we can see and back up with Scripture. Common grace is, number one, the fact that we, humanity, has been created in the image of God. You have intrinsic value. You have been blessed as a human being because the reality is it's, you were created in the image of God. The animals are not created. Nothing else is created in the very image of God except humanity. So how is that common grace? Well, God decided to make you in his own image in Genesis 1.26. And so we're created more like him than any other created being and gives us intrinsic value from the very beginning. And this is, this is a grace that God has bestowed upon all of humanity because we are created in the image of God. Physical um, provision is the second aspect of common grace. Physical provision from God is common grace. God has provided physical provisions to sustain human life. You see, this is how God provides food and water and shelter and other basic needs for humanity. So in Matthew 5, 45, reminds us that God makes the sun rise on what? The just and the unjust, the evil and the good. It's to reign on both. Not everyone lives like a king, but we are all equally created in the image of God, and he provides for us. If he provides for the lilies of the field, how much more? Will he provide for us his own creation? If he provides for the birds of the air, <laughs> he even says, if, if I provide for the animals, how much more shall I provide for you? So I wonder this morning how many of us walk through life and many times we forget the reality of common grace that God has bestowed on us. The common grace that God has given us through not only being created in His image, but also the physical provisions. You may not have the things you want, but He promises to give you the things you need. So why worry about tomorrow? For tomorrow has enough worries in itself. So, listen, we, we need this reminder. Because when we are reminded of God's common grace, it will give us clarity to know that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what we walk through, God is still providing our physical needs. So not only do we see being created in the image of God and God's 
physical provisions, but thirdly, we see human talents and abilities. These are God's common grace. God has given mankind specific abilities and responsibility to build civilizations. God has called us to what? Procreate, and therefore he has given humanity the ability to produce children. Now, while not everyone can have their own children, we do see that God gave Adam and Eve the ability. And in Genesis 4, 2 to 1, and while may, many may not be able to have children, God blessed them with other talents, such as the ability to work, the ability to shepherd, the ability to farm, to build cities, to play music, to build tools. And so we see God's common grace was given as means for procreation and vocation, which all are God's common grace. You know, every Sunday I'm always amazed at the wonderful talent of our little church and their ability and their voices are amazing. And I always think, man, I wish I could sing like that. Um, listen, God created and gifted certain people in certain ways in His common grace. We should never, you know, get jealous of somebody in their gifts, but more so their talents. Because just because you can have a good talent doesn't make it a spiritual gift. It, it, listen, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not a talent. I mean, it's not a spiritual gift to, to, to dunk a basketball. It is a talent. It's not a spiritual gift to hit a baseball over the fence, but it is a talent. It's not a spiritual gift to do many of the things that we see that are amazing, to make them a gift, spiritual gift. They're a talent. That's common grace. God has given some people the ability to run like a deer and some not so much so. So, so God has expounded both uh, the ability to procreate and to have vocation. And thus, human talents and abilities are common grace. But fourthly, the conscience of God is common grace. Romans. Uh, 12, uh, 2, 14, and 15. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, there. Um, Romans chapter 2. And uh, we'll look at verses 14 and 15. He says here, For when the Gentiles do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves. So we're told that, listen, Paul affirmed that the Gentiles show that the work of the law is what? Written on their hearts. It's written on their hearts. And while their conscience also bears witness, and they are in, in conflicting thoughts accused of even a curse on them, so we can see how the conscience is an act of God's common grace to mankind. And that is because of this act of grace, all people will know the basic principles of right and wrong. 
ultimately leading them to understanding their need for a Savior. That's always a vital aspect of God's common grace, that His law is written on our hearts. So when you do something wrong, and even as an unbeliever, you know it's wrong. Why? Because God has written His law on your heart. This is common grace. So not only is God's conscience on mankind common grace, fifth, common grace we see within the structure of the family and of government. So it's by common grace that we have this structure of the family, and Scripture says that it's God is the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. You were born into the family you were born into for such a time as this. I mean, that should encourage you to know that out of every family that God could have brought you into, He brought you into the family that you were in. And that should give you joy, that should give you encouragement, and it should, it should grant you the reality that you are somebody special and God has a specific purpose for your life. It says in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And that would grant you according to the riches of His glory. So, and to be without a family is a tragedy. And so, as seen in God's proclaiming Himself a father to the fatherless, and a protector to the widows in Psalm 68, 5. We see God's common grace. We see God's common grace. He says in here in Psalm 68, 5, if I can turn in my Bibles here. He says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, lift up a song to Him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exalt before Him a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows. So what we, what we know and understand is that common grace is seen within the structure of family and the leadership roles for which they apply to our lives is a beautiful thing. We also see the structure of government. Now, I know there's not a lot of happy people with our government, but I want to remind you, God is in control. And we must not forget that. It's so easy to forget that and to think somehow, some way, you and I are going to solve the problem of the government. Listen, governments have been wicked throughout all of eternity. The Roman Empire was wicked. There is wickedness in our government. And so the question is, is how is it common grace for God to bless us with government? Well, the structure of government and how it is a blessing from God in common grace is, is a reality as hope on all humanity 
Paul demands us to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. God has put government into existence to hold back wrongdoing. That's the purpose. That should be the purpose. Now, when it gets corrupt and becomes immoral and it becomes, you know, this reality, but nevertheless, please be reminded, my friends, don't lose your mind over a wicked government. God is in the business of doing what he does. And he's going to do what he does through whom he chooses to do it. And if it's through the Biden administration, whether you believe it's a fake or false or phony president or not, nevertheless, the reality is God is going to use this government, this wicked, adultery-driven, leftist government for his purpose. Wickedness will never reign over God's grander purpose. Now, I don't know what that purpose is. I don't understand it. I'm just like you. I, I pray and I ask God for grace and mercy. I ask God for clarity. I ask God to reveal the sin and the wickedness that's come upon our nation and its leaders. And the reality is, is nevertheless, Paul, in the midst of all that they had faced in their government, their wicked government, demands us to submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. God has put governments into existence to, to suppress wrongdoing, to punish evil, to contain the spread of sin. And that's why it says in Romans 13, 1-7, we're told that they the authorities are ministers of God. So I think it's important to be reminded that, that even in the midst and in the, as, as we face these uncertain days, God is still in control. Not all governments are good. Some are better than others. We've had runs in the government, which were gr great leaders, and we've had runs in which we're not great leaders. We've had runs of uh, presidents and leadership that, that we thought we were going to get back under a nation, under, one, under God. And then we've had leaders who have absolutely infiltrated us with the enemy uh, in false religion. So nevertheless, the reality is, is they were created for a specific purpose. And the purpose they were created for was to protect against evil. Listen, the reality is, is the police are there to protect. Now, they may want to defund the police. They may want to rip the police out, but they, they really don't want to do that because God has established that that role as a common grace. He has established protection against evil. Now, when it becomes corrupt, like we see in many other countries, and the police are corrupt and the government's corrupt, the reality is, is we've been very blessed with our constitutional rights. And nevertheless, we have to be able to judge right from wrong. We have to be able to judge good from evil. And God has established government. Their job is to implement common grace and to protect against wrongdoing, to hold back from wrongdoing. And we need to pray that God will do what he does. God will go forth and he will make right the wrongs that have been done. And God can do that. You know, Romans chapter 12, towards the end, 
He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Listen, we need to make sure that we, like King Asa, in my message that I preached just a few days ago, that we understand how we fight. We fight on our knees. We fight in prayer. Because we are up against the spiritual warfare. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against Joe Biden. Your battle is against the devil. Your battle is against spiritual warfare. And the only battle that's going to actually take place, that's going to actually make change in this nation and in this world, is a spiritual matter. And thus, we need to make sure that we are being faithful and true to the Word of God, and that we don't lose our minds, that we don't give the enemy what they want, but that we are faithful in trusting God through all of the chaotic circumstances for which we find ourselves. So nevertheless, God's common grace we see within the structure of the family and the government. And so this is there's a few important things, a few things we need to make sure we understand when it comes to common grace. And number one is that we do not neglect or dismiss common grace. We should be thanking God for all the common grace that He's bestowed on us. We also need not confuse common grace with saving grace. That's important. Because the reality is, is common grace does not affirm, it does not even imply that this divine favor is somehow salvific. So at the end of the day, being mindful of common grace that God has extended to both believers and unbelievers alike help us live with a greater awareness and a greater appreciation for God's innumerable blessings and with a kind, great thankfulness for those gifts that he has given to the human race. So here's some questions that will come along with common grace. Number one, common grace makes it sound like unbelievers are able to do good even save themselves. Well, we know this isn't true because Scripture is very clear that salvation is what? It's by grace, through faith, in Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. It's by faith alone and grace alone, through Christ alone. If anything, our common grace should drive us to seeing a need for a Savior because we know right from wrong. It's written on our hearts. And we know that we've broken the law. And when we realize we've broken the law, then we understand that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that we are, we are in great need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. So why are, why are there different measures of common grace? And why does God often give greater intellect, artistic ability, athleticism, invocational abilities, to non-Christians, and he gives Christians. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you would think that God would just give all of his, his children the, the greatest of all gifts. 
Um, well, I think it gives us the ability to understand God better, that God is sovereign over whom and what he gives to whom he wishes to give. And it is absolutely out of our control and encourages me to be me, to not be somebody else, to be you and not to be somebody else. God has bestowed upon us all his common grace for which he desires for all of us to work it out for his glory. Now, I, I want us to consider common grace in relation to the doctrine of salvation. Now, common grace in relation to the doctrine of salvation shows us that God before gives us and provides for us as his creation, and he wishes none to perish, but that all would come to repentance, that all would be saved. And he began that process by establishing common grace. 